0: Hey guys, it's Nathan. This is episode 37 of The Nathan Seawood Show. The Nathan Seawood Show. Personal conversations with powerful men. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining as always. I'm having deep, vulnerable and unedited conversations with powerful men every week who have overcome adversity to thrive in their business and their lives. And I had Mark Marwinnie on the show this week, who you'll hear speaking very, very shortly. Mark's a fascinating guy. He's uh, an entrepreneur by nature and he's become a coach and now runs a big community for coaches, teaching the coaches how to coach. And I really enjoyed this conversation because Mark got me thinking a lot. As coaches, sometimes we don't uh, appreciate or think of ourselves as entrepreneurs or business people. Most coaches have very pure intentions. They want to change the world. They want to help people. They want to help people heal. They want to help people be successful. But they often will neglect the business side of things. And Mark has a very interesting take on this, that you have to really treat yourself as an entrepreneur and as a business. And probably 80% of your time as a coach is going to be spent marketing, creating clients, not actually in coaching. So it's a very, very important thing. And he talked a lot about consistency, which is uh, my thought for the week is around consistency. Because it's it's not a very sexy topic, and it's not that exciting to talk about consistency. And I read an email uh, newsletter from a guy, James Clear, recently, and he's talking about the difference between goals and systems. And it reminded me about consistency, because he said, you don't want to focus on your goals, you want to focus on your systems. So if you're a coach, well, let's take it, a sports coach, for example, you're trying to win a national championship that's your goal is to make your team win the national championship the system is the training that you show up for every day and that your team goes through and you want to have the system in place so that if you follow that system day in and day out the goal is the natural result from following that system and same as what mark talks about it's about consistency so if you just try something once Oh, well, I tried Facebook. I tried Facebook ads or I tried I tried uh, something else. You know, let's say talk about fitness. Yeah, well, I tried doing CrossFit for a couple of weeks and it didn't work. Well, you have to focus on consistency. Once you find the system and, and for coaches, the system may be uh, reaching out and making connecting calls to uh, your ideal clients. So it might be that you spend 30 minutes a day, two hours a day. You might make 10 phone calls a day connecting with people. That can be your system. And if you do that, if you're connecting with 10 people a day, 50 people during a working week, the natural result is that you're going to reach your goal of uh, having one, two, three, four, five new clients, whatever you're looking to achieve. So it's not that sexy to talk about consistency, but it's a, a huge thing. This podcast, for example, this is uh, up in episode 37 right now. And I have a bunch of friends who are at the moment out hiking and watching uh the sunset somewhere really cool and I would love to be there, yet I know I've got to record this intro, this outro for the show, get it produced and get it up and out for you guys this week. Because I know that consistency is key. And throughout this, you know, show, the the life of the show, I think I've only had a few weeks here and there where I've missed an episode. But basically the show comes out every week. And so I have a system in place. Like I know when I have to have interviews done by, I know when I have to have my intros and outros recorded, the, the uh, marketing material for Facebook, for Instagram, when that has to happen, when I have to have all the files from the interview uploaded for the show producer to have everything come together to go out on a Wednesday. So that's the system. And each week we get more and more people tuning in, listeners, new people coming to the show. And that's the goal. The goal is to have more and more people coming in and tuning into the show every week. So think about it in your life, whether you're looking at getting fit and healthy, whether you're looking at mastering your diet, whether you're trying to grow your business, whatever it is, think about your goal and then throw it away and focus on the system and being consistent every week uh, with that system. And naturally, the goal will occur as a result. So I've already introduced uh, Mark at the top of the show, but Mark is a fantastic guy. He runs a huge community of coaches where he helps them grow successful, profitable coaching businesses. As I said, Mark is an entrepreneur himself. He's had some huge successes in uh, property and then he's had some businesses collapse as well. So you hear all about that and what he learned from it, how he got into coaching and some of the reasons why he did that. And he has some just really practical pragmatic tips for those of you looking to start and grow a successful business, and in particular a coaching business. So without further ado, enjoy this very personal conversation with the powerful Mark Marwinney.. You know, I'm I on the east coast of Canada. I live in a beautiful
1: part of the world and grew up in a small fishing village, actually, small community. And I uh, grew up, I have a twin brother, uh, his name is Matt. And he now actually edits my podcast, so that's kind of interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Podcast, <laughs> podcast editing business. So I sat on his head for nine months. I figured I could trust him with my audio and stuff <laughs> for the podcast. You know, if you can't trust your twin brother, who can you trust?
0: Exactly. But
1: um, yeah, it's it's funny because uh, when I was growing up, my family actually was. Um, not entrepreneurial, really, in the least, you know, as a a traditional middle class type family and stuff. And I actually read a book, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners have read. But back in high school, I read Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, which like so many other people, it's influenced influenced me as well. And that really got me thinking about business. And that was back in um, high school. After I got done university, I jumped into real estate. And I did that for 10 years, I had a lot of success throughout my 20s and then all of a sudden I got hit with not one but two business closures in the span of a few years starting in 2009 and that's basically what led me to uh, to coaching, uh, it, you know, I was helped back to my feet by coaches and I believe strongly in coaching but that, my background is actually in real estate and that's, uh, I, I never grew up thinking that I would actually be in coaching now, you know, I thought I'd be playing shortstop for the Toronto Blue Jays was the plan when I was a kid. <laughs> They could have used me this year, I think, the way their season went. But uh, yeah, that that's my background in a nutshell.
0: So tell me about the East Coast of Canada. So my mom is from Montreal. I grew up in New Zealand. I never never lived in Canada, but my mom is from Montreal. And so I have um, half of my, my family lives in different parts of Canada. So I have a, a fair idea. But for those people listening, did, did you grow up in Nova Scotia? Is that East Coast? Well, that's what people often
1: think when they hear Atlanta, Canada, or East Coast because uh, Nova Scotia is actually the province next door to me. I'm in New Brunswick, okay. and New Brunswick borders the state of Maine, and we're actually very similar to Maine. so we're a geography population. We're only seven hundred and fifty thousand ish people for the for the province. and anyone who's not sure that what province is it is essentially the same as the states in the United States, you know, with the uh, Canadian provinces. so, it's a beautiful part of the world, three seasons of the year. I won't lie to you. Winners, um, the older I get, the less enthusiastic um, I am about winners. You know, as a kid, I was playing pond hockey and making snow forts. And I absolutely love going out in the snow. Now I'm like, oh man, I'm running to the car and and just doing my thing, getting back in and, and, um, you know, holing up and and getting the heat cranked. So it's not that bad, but we do have our moments with uh, some of the, the cold weather and the snow and stuff. But yeah, it's a beautiful part of the world. And It's a part of the world that um, I don't do any business here, really. I've had a handful of clients here locally, but that's come more by accident. My clientele are coaches. You know, I'm helping coaches grow their businesses. And the coaching world hasn't really, it's its growing in this part of the world, but there aren't a ton of coaches here. So I actually like doing it where I work with people from away at, you know, look at you in Columbia, you know, I'm talking to people all over the world and, and that's the way I'd prefer to do it. It, it expands your thinking and um, it definitely keeps things interesting.
0: So what are some of the, the key moments growing up? Like if you sort of think back, uh, the the moments that, you know, with your your dad or whatever, that, that sort of you to define that that part of your childhood?
1: Oh, key moments. Um, I would say that one key moment, which uh, played into business when I launched my podcast, Natural Born Coaches, back in 2014 is uh, my grandfather. I was really close. Both my brother and I were close with our grandparents. They lived right next door and, and they were great people. And my grandfather passed away unexpectedly November 17th, 1993 and uh that day was just you know worst day of my life up to that point and and, um not a fun day but when i was launching my show i was going to i launched my show november 17th in 2014 and and that was more to honor him but originally i was going to launch it january 1st 2015 and i decided to bump up the release date by a couple months essentially or a month and a half and i did that just uh, to honor my grandfather i said you know what i'm gonna push myself even though it was a daily show at that time it's weekly now but it was a daily show had a ton of work you know how much work goes into podcasts and and all that stuff and i said you know what i'm gonna push myself and i'm gonna hit november 17th and i remember talking with some podcasters who helped me out and they're like look mark that's too ambitious with a daily show you got to do 100 interviews and you know get them all batched and all this stuff just push it to january and i said no i'm gonna really push myself for that November 17th date because of my grandfather. And I ended up hitting it, now barely hitting it. It was the night before, it was Sunday, November 16th, at probably 10 or 11 o'clock at night, I was still uploading stuff. But we managed to hit the November 17th date. And I thought that that was kind of a cool thing. It shows that when people have the proper motivation, you can do pretty much anything if you push yourselves. But unfortunately, as humans, uh, we don't push ourselves enough. And we need to have that powerful why or the powerful motivation, and, and that's what I had. So my grandfather's been gone for, you know, what's a uh, 24 years now, but uh, almost 25 years. But he he played a part in the launch of my podcast, which I thought was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, very cool, and a way to honor his memory in a way, yeah. and like have him a part of what you're doing. Right. So tell me about New, Br- New Brunswick. Did you grow up in a small town? Was it because I don't know New Brunswick that well? Is it you know, is there a, a city there or is it mostly small town? <laughs> well,
1: New Brunswick. Um, we have, we have really three cities probably in, the, we have more, but there's three main cities in the province, but I actually grew up, um, as mentioned a a small waterfront, fishing village called Mesa's Bay and um, I don't expect anyone to know Mesa's Bay but Mesa's Bay is um, there are a lot of Mowinis there and, and some of the, the founding families and when it's funny I've talked to some people who actually reach out to me they for different reasons one was doing a family tree on the Mowinis for some reason and they know all about Mesa's Bay and the Mowinis. but most people I wouldn't expect people listening to know much about it but um, yeah I grew up in a really cool waterfront um, maybe 500 people I don't know 700 people for population but it was a cool place to grow up yeah you, you could spend your days on a beach and because uh, it's right on the ocean or you could play in the in the forest or you could just go all over like you got to live a great life that way and uh, that's actually where I grew up
0: yeah that's sort of the Canada that we imagine <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah no grizzly bears I didn't get attacked by any grizzlies or anything but yeah so I got to experience a great outdoors there and then um, once I hit junior high school, grade seven here in Canada, I ended up going to school in St. John, New Brunswick, which is about 30 minutes, I was 30 minutes away from where I grew up. And uh, that was, I say, my first exposure to the big city. You'd kind of laugh but where you're living. But uh, there's, I think, 70,000 people in St. John and 125,000, if you include the outer areas. And uh, I lived there for up until 2013. I moved to where I live now is Moncton, New Brunswick. Moncton is uh, a very, uh, it's a vibrant bilingual city of roughly, I think, 145,000, including the outer areas. And uh, it's, when I say bilingual, it's French and English. It's, it's English and French, which is um, kind of cool. So it's got a good vibe here. Very, um, it, It's a good city. I'm very happy. Good weather, relatively speaking, compared to, say, St. John, which was – St. John was very much like San Francisco. It was all fog all the time. And, you know, it was a kind of a gritty, blue-collar, industrial city. And uh, I would say with Moncton, it's much better weather. A lot more sn- uh, sun and uh, things like that. So I'm very happy.
0: That's cool, and a lot of people have the experience of wanting to leave, you know, like leave the place they grew up in or get out of the small town and and you know go into the wider world. Did you move out of Canada or out of New Brunswick at all and come back, or that's just been your base the whole time?
1: It's been my base. Um, I had that desire to move out of the small 500 person community, you know, when I was um, heading off to university, and then after my business closure, I had the desire to move the heck out of my uh, the city I'd moved to because it was just um, I mean, that's a whole other podcast there. But 2009, I had a real estate business with about 100 employees, a couple office locations, and everything was going great, you know, and um, and just going gangbusters. And then, bang! All of a sudden, everything collapsed in August 2009. And I went through a period where I was public enemy number one. I mean, I would open up, I'd see the newspaper, it'd be front page news attacking me, and it was just, a, it was really overblown. You know, in this part of the world, if there's a business closure, it it always makes the news. And and there's a very there's a lot of anti-entrepreneurial sentiment, I find, at times. Not, not with all people it's getting better but around here there's a lot of times when they see a, a restaurant close or any business oh gee that you know entrepreneur really um you know screwed the employees right and uh, and stuff like that and closed their doors like any entrepreneur plans to close their doors and um, th- there was a lot of that feeling and i hit a point by 2013 that i said you know what i need a fresh start because i i'm done you know w- w- with a city and dealing with the the crap and the controversy from that business closure and the way it worked out um, you know i moved an hour and a half away and and that gave a fresh start for me and i think sometimes we can be the most motivated people in the world but we sometimes need a fresh start if you're around people who aren't a great influence or you know, you're in a cesspool that you're just not happy in, then sometimes it, it takes a move, you know, to get that fresh start going. So it wasn't like I moved across the world or anything like that. And I still have a lot of friends and family in St. John. But for me, that move was an important part. And I started my coaching business shortly after I moved up here. I started beginning of 2014. And, and, uh, and now I'm, I'm rolling in it here now, as we record,
0: yeah, that's a, it's so interesting. There's so many elements in there that I relate to, like the um, that that entrepreneurial culture, or uh, very similar in New Zealand. And again, I think it's the same thing. It, it's improving, um, but I think where you find in a lot of parts of America, well, especially you know the the big cities, that that being an entrepreneur has become sexy, right? 20 years ago, owning a business was just owning a business. But now, you know, there, there are kids coming out of high school that want to be entrepreneurs, which is this this is new, <laughs> new wave, which is quite funny. Uh, but I think, yeah, yeah just... in New Zealand as well, like, uh, I think it's more around being rich or wanting to be different. You know, we have this, what we call this tall poppy syndrome, that's kind of an overused phrase now, I'm sick of saying it myself. But just, just that sort of built-in cultural sentiment of like, if you want to make it or if you want to uh, make millions of dollars, then there's a suspicion there. Is it a similar sort of thing?
1: Yeah, I used to. Um, I I had a lot of people talking behind my back because I I won't lie. I had a, you know three luxury vehicles, and um, you know one of them was a hundred thousand dollar Mercedes. And the average house price here in my province is I think one hundred and sixty five thousand. But a lot of people live in homes that are eighty to one hundred thousand dollars. So there was a little bit of this back in my real estate days, like who the heck does he think he is driving, you know, um, a Mercedes like that, that that costs that much money? And I, I will, I will confess that it probably was overblown. You know, here I am, a kid in my 20s, and and right out of university not used to having that much money coming from a middle class background and all of a sudden bang you're making big bucks you know there's that temptation to spend but that wasn't the reason my business closed you know and a lot of a lot of people say oh well that's why he had a couple of nice cars and that's why his business closed no that wasn't the, the reason why but you know <laughs> I, I i learned a lot of um, lessons from that whole experience and i think it really thickened my skin dealing with haters and critics and trolls now in the online world with coaching is I'm thinking, man, I've dealt with some real not bars in my real estate day days. And, and if I don't can deal with them, I could deal with Joe from Boise, Idaho, <laughs> type a message or an email out in his mom's computer in the basement, you know, or something like that. So there were some advantages, definitely and some silver linings in that cloud. Now I wouldn't have thought that back in 2009, but looking back now, almost a decade later, I can be grateful that, hey, I, I got an experience that I would have never gotten from any sort of book. So I'm not happy with the way that it closed. Obviously, I would change some things, but I did learn some valuable lessons that are helping me now.
0: Yeah, it's that interesting. Again, it's become popular to say, hey, you know, it's you, you just got to fail. Like failure is the way to success, which is a little bit weird. And I think it's a little bit uh, overused as well. But I think it's more about like if you try your best and have a failure, then frame it up in a way that you learn from it.
1: Yeah, I would rather go for it, you know, and I see these people sitting on the sidelines, they've never tried anything in their lives. They're sitting at uh, a nine to five job that they hate, they can't stand, but then they're the first ones to attack an entrepreneur that goes out of business. And I'm thinking, you know what, I'd rather go So true. End times if it means I'm actually doing something, I'm not having to regret something. So it's funny. um, it, It was an interesting experience because had that business closure happened in a bigger city, let's say even a city with 500,000 people or a million people wouldn't have even made the paper probably, you know, or it would have been page C26, you know, a little blurb in the paper, but it it was very overblown, like it was big news. And, um, it's, it's a strange feeling having to call your parents and say, Hey mom, or Hey dad, don't look at the paper today. You know, (laughs) you should probably stay away from today's paper, you know, with it. And, um, very strange situation, but you know, everything's worked out. I wouldn't be talking with you today. Had that not happened, I probably would be a miserable real estate agent um, working away and you know and and not happy so I'm grateful that it happened. What did your parents do? Uh, What did they do? Uh, My father was a customs broker so he uh, helped clear things coming into Canada across the border, basically. And my mother did a number of things. She's a little more artistic. Uh, she's done everything from teaching art to um, occupational therapist uh, as a assistant as well that she had done for years. But yeah, they were, um, you know, standard middle class people, and n- no real entrepreneurial stuff that they did, or, or not much. So. I don't know where um, where I got it. I think it's from books, like I said, Think and Grow Rich and other ones that exposed me to that. And I'm glad that I found those. You know, if the internet was around when I was a kid, oh, God, I would have had a, a huge head start. You know, I would have been Googling, you know, how to um, create a seven figure lemonade stand
0: when I was eight years old or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can relate that. The first book I read was um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad <laughs> when I was like 14 or something like that. Yeah it's funny isn't it like that what we're attracted to at that age because my parents are the same my dad worked in the same job for 40 years my mum was a teacher for 30 years and um for me just something about being an entrepreneur or it wasn't even being an entrepreneur for me it was about freedom you know like is this all it is just working in a job like how can you take control of your own life and I think that led me to business
1: Yeah, between real estate and when I got started my coaching business, I had a period of time where I worked uh, for a telecommunications company here in Canada. And it was was a sales job. It was home-based. And it was a great gig. Everyone here is like, oh, man, you're so lucky because I worked from home. I didn't have a manager breathing down my neck. I never rarely spoke to the manager. I had tons of flexibility. And actually, I started my coaching business on the I say on the side, the same time as I was working at that job because it gave that flexibility. And uh, when I decided to, to leave that sales gig once my coaching was rolling, people said, "Oh my God, you're crazy!" You know, I think it was paying like close to seventy k a year, and they all thought, "Oh my gosh, you're making seventy thousand from the sales gig! Like you're crazy. <laughs> you're crazy to leave it!" Like I'm living it's the- half a half. <laughs> Well, yeah, and and around here, that's the dream, you know, people, if they get a job with the government and then they can retire and have a small pension and stuff like that, that's what they a lot of the people go for. That's sort of the Holy Grail. and that's not me at all. But I knew it was time to leave the sales gig when I was uh, one December, just before I left, they called me in to take a quick Christmas picture with the team. And I was never went into the office where I worked from home. This was probably the second or third time I'd been in there. And I remember being resentful, and thinking, "Oh man, I've got you know interviews and I got discovery calls and stuff, and I got to write it, you know, blog post and emails. Like, how dare they call me into you know their their uh, to my place of employment to, for 20 minutes or 30 <laughs> minutes to take, a, to take a Christmas picture? And it's not really fair to them when their workers like you know feeling resentful for having to go in for 20 minutes to do that. And I left shortly after. I left. The that uh, in February uh, right after that so you know what um, I don't speak ill of that job because it was an important bridge that uh, paid the bills while I was getting my coaching going in those early months but uh, for me I saw enough there that I thought man I can't if I can't handle a home-based sales position with that much flexibility then I'd be screwed in an office job like good luck it just I wouldn't I'd be jumping off the, the office roof probably within a couple days.
0: I've been thinking a lot about this lately as well because I just uh, resigned from my full time job about, uh, well, a month ago, over a month ago. Uh, congrats. And, uh, yeah, thank you. It's a great feeling. Uh, but, you know, the last uh, six months was that same feeling. I was like, I would come off a coaching call and then I'd dive in and record a podcast. And then it's like, oh, fuck, I've got to go to work. This is, this is uh, don't they know how busy I am? Like, this is so frustrating. I've got to take yeah. an airplane to Hawaii. Yeah, it's so tough.
1: <laughs> well, one of my uh, friends, and, and you can edit this out. I don't know how salty my language can get in this. But no, there's no cool.
0: editing, so go for it. Well,
1: uh, so one of my friends um, during this time said, Mark, you've got the perfect job to be building your coaching business as well. And he said that the goal should be finding a job that allowed for the maximum Amount of Tom fuckery I think, is how he called it, <laughs> which basically means you want a job that, yeah, you could do whatever you want to build your your uh, side hustle. Unfortunately, a lot of jobs don't allow for that. But that being said, a lot of people also don't factor in how much time they have left. So, uh, in, in a week after you have done your job, and I've worked it out in a number of ways, but you have 168 hours a week. Even when you look at the 40 hours, if you work at a job and you got five hours for traveling and so on, and when you plug in eating, bathing, helping the kids with homework and stuff. Everybody's got at least 20 hours if you prioritize it. You know, you can't be watching Netflix binge marathons, you know, to do it. But anyone can have 20 hours, and there's a good chance you can round up 30 hours. But I know people that can do more in 20 hours of concentrated, disciplined work than someone else who's quote full-time coaching or doing whatever for 80 hours. Because half the time they're, you know, playing Farmville or you know they're screwing around on Facebook or something. So I would take, I would put my money on the person who's very disciplined, that has 20 hours a week and highly motivated, than someone who's 80 hours is just drifting around.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. I guess like most entrepreneurs, if you're coming from a career, that's a reality you have to face at some point. You're going to have to double down. And I think a lot of people just aren't willing to do that. They just don't want to do the hard work. And they think, well, uh, to to start a business, I need to leave my job. Well. You know, that's not reality for most people. Most people don't have a couple hundred thousand sitting in the bank that they can just live off for a couple of years while they start a business. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I read the 4-Hour Workweek, you know, a long time ago when it first came out. And it was the same thing. He has a great strategy in there that I highly recommend uh, to do with remote working. And just exactly, he's got, I think he even has the scripts for the emails and everything to send to your boss, the conversation to have about starting to work from home and just starting maybe once a month. Take one Friday off and work from home and then get all, you know, it's about transitioning your your work into uh, goal-oriented tasks rather than time in the office. And once you've made that, that yeah, you, know, you can start negotiating the remote work, and then you can just be working on your own business from home.
1: Oh, exactly. And a friend of mine that made a really good point, he's a coach, and he was going through the same thing. He had a, a quote, job while he started his coaching business. And I was chatting with him about it, and he said that the way that he gets around that frustration or resentment at his job for holding him back from his coaching was he looked at the job as an investor in his coaching business and that seemed to make the pill a little bit easier to swallow when he was going into the office every day cuz hey look this is an investor helping to get his coaching business off the ground i don't recommend that people do the whole jerry maguire approach remember that movie when he quit and he stormed out and you know who's with me and uh, and he takes a goldfish out of the tank and stuff and makes a big dramatic thing. And I think uh, Rose Zellweger was the only person that followed him. But I, a lot of people think you have to do this grand uh, exit from your job. And, you know, just um, like the, the old saying, the entrepreneurs jump off a cliff and they hope to build a plane on the way down. Well, that can cause a lot of stress because then you got to get clients and business like right away in order to eat and then you're going to make some bad decisions, work with some bad people and so on. I think it's good that if you're taking, you know, don't take 10 years to make the transition. But if it's six months to a year that you also keep that job and you keep building your other thing on the side, then that's not a bad thing. You don't have to go for that home run right out of the gate where you quit the job and enter this period of uncertainty. Just make sure you don't set too long of a time frame for your independence day when you're leaving your job. Like you don't need 10 years to build a business on the side. You know, you should be able to do it six months to a year.
0: Yeah, I don't know how we got on this topic, but it's, it's something that um, I, I get asked this all the time from people about how to start a business, how to find an idea, how to do it. You know, should I do this? Should I do that? So I think it's it's a good topic to discuss, actually.
1: Yeah, I saw a post in a Facebook group a few months back, and th- this is what I wouldn't recommend doing. The person said, hey, guys, um, I finally told my uh, boss where to where to go. And I quit and I gave my two weeks notice. So basically in two weeks, I'm going to be out of my behind. And I'm thinking of teaching people how to create online courses. What platform do you recommend uh, people use for online programs? And I thought, oh man, like, if you're planning on quitting and giving your two week notice, you probably should have researched some things like as basic as that, especially if you're going to be in that world of online programs, you know, take, take some time beforehand to do it.
0: And I, I just thought, man, that's probably not the best way to go about doing that. But you know, um, I can't, I think it's different for everyone, isn't it? Like it's not, there's no set strategy of how to do this. You know, some people thrive under pressure. Some people are planners, you know, like to have it all planned out and kind of know as best they can, how it's going to look. I think it's there's no set strategy but you gotta you do have to put some thought into it. Yeah, you gotta it just remind me when I was reading that that four hour work week it said, you know, negotiating remote working and I thought, man, what a great idea. And then remember that I was a pilot and that uh trying to work from home was probably not not gonna go down too well with my boss.
1: Yeah, I see you're flying a plane and you're actually you're working on the laptop with your other hand
0: or something, you know? Yeah, exactly. A Skype call with someone for your side hustle. <laughs> <laughs> In-flight Wi-Fi. Um, you said something interesting before. It was about uh, after you, your business has collapsed, you know, wanting to just get away from it and leave leave your town or leave the town that you were working in. And that's an interesting um, thing for me as well about you hear people say, well, he's just running away from his problems. You know, he's just he's just running away. So i just like, you know, what, what do you think about that? Like what was your feeling there and, and how do you know whether it's right to, to leave
1: well, I, I stuck around. Got after that 09 closure for almost four years uh, before I left. And uh, I, I do something that's called the uh, well, the way I see it. What I did was called the leapfrog theory. I'm not sure if you've ever re- read the book Thick Face, Black Heart, Chin Ning Chu. That's no. a required reading for any entrepreneur. So it's called Thick Face, Black Heart. Amazing book. It's probably my favorite book. And in that book, she told a story. She um, Chin Ning Chu, the author. It was in i believe it was portland oregon and there was a um coveted position working with chinese delegate business delegation and she ended up getting that position and, and it was going to be very lucrative to help her with her consulting and a number of different people in that local market portland oregon got very um they got their backs up because here's this newcomer that got this coveted position and they started sniping at her behind her back trying to trip her up and you know doing all this stuff and she finally got so fed up dealing with kind of the petty nonsense like this that she said she employed the leapfrog theory and what she did was she started she became an expert on teaching asian business practices to westerners and she wrote a book which became a huge hit she got on to larry king and all these you know big tv and stuff like that and she started to do all so much th- stuff that people in her city couldn't hold her back because she was now a national figure or even international figure in her niche. And I see it the same way with, uh, with my business compared to when I was in real estate, people could trip you up all the time, right? They could spread whatever rumors they could, you know, just it was very... I say very incestuous, you know, marketplace and I don't mean, you know, incestuous the way that we usually think, but uh just everybody knew everybody and everybody was backbiting and talking and running interferences That crabs in a bucket, like you talked about tall poppy syndrome. We often say crabs in a bucket here. And what I do is uh, the same thing, leapfrog theory. I said, you know what, I'm not gonna play the game for peanuts here with local people. They're all fighting for peanuts. I'm going to work online doing something completely different, and I'm gonna have access to a market of 7.5 billion people. So it's not gonna matter local economic conditions, it's not gonna matter if someone doesn't like me locally or whatever, or somebody, oh geez, I read something in the paper years ago, Mark, which you know, about you and, and I think you're Hitler or anything like that. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to leapfrog past that. And that's what's happened with my coaching business. So anyone listening, who's feeling like they're getting tripped up in their local, you can move uh, by all means, but at least go online uh, with that. And you can open up some new avenues and new opportunities there. I think nowadays, everybody should be working online. I I can't see you've got the access to this marketplace that our parents would have killed for. Right. And we have it in front of us and a lot of people take it for granted.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I think What I was meaning is like the, you know, in terms of the emotional uh, stuff or if you're feeling stuck, not so much in a business sense, but if you're feeling stuck in terms of uh, just being around the same people or if maybe your family is not that supportive of what you do, uh, whether that is a good reason to leave.
1: Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's your life and you can't hold back based on anyone. So I'm not recommending people divorce or spouses. But um, if you have a spouse who's constantly pulling you down. It doesn't believe in what you're doing. And you know, it's, it's tough enough out there, even not with just your spouse, but with people that are out there that you're gonna be doing business with and everything else. There's enough critics that you have to worry about. You shouldn't have it when you come home, you know, and hearing your spouse like, you know, geez, Nathan, get a, why don't you get a real job, you know, or, you know, Becky's husband has a real job, why don't you have one, or whatever, with it. Uh, so yeah, I think um, there's something about moving from your area, you just know when the time's right. That's what I hit. I said, you know what? I'm so done with this city. Um, I'm not feeling it here anymore. And it's not a particularly great city that I'm I'm missing anything if I leave. And I said, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to move. And it it ended up working out, you know, uh, for me. So you have to make that own own decision. You don't have to move to get a fresh start. But it's a heck of a lot easier if you're away from some of those influences that you talked about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, man, you're so right with the partner as well, I think some someone gave me a great line and it's just stuck with me for some reason that it doesn't matter um you and your partner the most important thing is that you're growing at the same rate or that you're both committed to growth if one person's growing and that might be spiritually growing or growing a uh, a business or something like that and the other person's just happy being stagnant and sitting still that for me I've experienced that myself like that's that's a challenge so I think that's a good reference point you know if your partner is growing with you and they're doing their own thing and you're growing at the same rate, or even if you're just growing at a slow rate together. uh, That's a real key insight for me for a relationship. Ah, I agree. You talked about uh, being a twin brother. I'm wondering like how that was growing up. It's a pretty unique situation. Were you guys close? We were. Yeah, it was cool because
1: you were never without a friend to play baseball or to do anything with because you know, a lot of siblings. There could be an age gap. You know, it could be five year gap or whatever, and it doesn't quite work out that way. But yeah, when you have a twin, you could you can do anything. You know, you got your your other person there, and and uh, I'm grateful for that. And it's it's a different situation. Nowadays, because kids are in front of their screens all the time, right, with tablets and smartphones and everything else. But back then, we spent every waking hour outside, you know, running around and just enjoying the the weather and and nature and sports and all that other stuff. So uh, it's funny. I don't really even think of us as twins. And anyone who knows us, we sound similar. So my brother could hop on now, and you probably wouldn't know the difference. It'd it'd be a seamless transition. (laughs) That's cool. Uh, we don't look alike, though. He's got kind of spikier hair. He doesn't have the beard, you know, and stuff like that. So we look more probably like brothers than we do twins, but we do sound alike.
0: Yeah, actually, I've seen your brother now that you mentioned it pop up on my Facebook. I didn't didn't make the link for some reason. But it's cool that you guys are able to work together. My brother and I, uh, he's from a different mother, brother from another mother. <laughs> and um, this is about 18 years between us. Uh, but we're very, very close, and we started our own business together, and that's one of the most fun times i've had is, is working on a business with him for a couple of years so i can relate to you guys working together now with the podcast That's very cool
1: yeah he's doing really well he um he came from a, a sales job that he had and back then uh, he started his business oh geez i think it's been two and a half years now and he's uh, got some really cool big name clients that he and his team are doing shows for and stuff and he's uh, basically done the same thing as me where he said you know what i'm not going to deal with the local economy and stuff like that, where there's a lack of opportunities, I'm gonna just go online, and now he wrote his own ticket for, you know, he's works with who he wants to work with, and he, he does well, he makes good money with it, and he's happy with it, so, me personally, I hate that podcast editing, I can't stand it, I'd rather get a root canal, so I did the first 300 episodes of my show, Natural Born Coaches, and then when he started up his business, I very you know, happily handed them over, I said, please take it off my hands and knock yourself out, but he really enjoys the editing, and, and that's a key. And he feels like he's getting paid to learn because he's, a lot of his clients are in the personal development niche, in the business niche. So he's listening to all these shows, like let's say this one, right? And getting to learn all this stuff. And he's like, man, I can't believe I'm getting paid for this. So he's constantly telling me, yeah, I heard this today on, uh, he does James Wedmore's podcast, um, was it Mind Your Business, I think it is. Um, he, he does James uh, podcast and other ones like that. He's like, yeah, I heard James talk about this today. And then he's telling me, and it's really cool
0: yeah that's very cool I, I love you know you talk about online business and the opportunities there's a great opportunity right there and uh, you know, i have a guy that edits this podcast he's in the philippines he's a great guy he's in personal development as well and he has the, the same feedback for me that he loves listening to them and he will be listening to this funnily enough but yeah if you i don't know if you've used the website upwork but that, that's where i found um uh dave that, that does the, the producing for this podcast And man, that is an incredible website. Like that just blew my mind. It's basically where people can go and uh, offer up their skills. Freelancers can go and offer up their skills and you can hire them through the website and all the kind of contractual stuff is taken care of through the website. And you can build this whole virtual business, you know, through sites like this. I just think, as you said, this online world is so incredible and the opportunities are so huge. Yeah, it's funny
1: because my partner, Julia, she does podcast interview bookings. So she has a business called Interviews on Demand. I'll get a plug in for her. But uh, she she works with people who want to get booked out on podcasts. So I'm one of her clients as well. I and mean, then she works with some really cool people. And she's um, now right in that online world as well. She had never done anything really online with it. She had worked more corporate and stuff. And now she's in this world. So I think people here are starting to learn more about it. A couple of years ago, if I said the word podcast, people are like what the heck Pod-. a lot of people didn't know what podcasts were here now they do and the same thing with coaching when i said yeah i'm, I'm getting into coaching you know my family's like oh think i'm going to the nfl or nba or something you know with them like no that's <laughs> that's not the coaching i'm doing so um it, things are changing you know and we're only uh it's still in the early part of the 21st century so I, i'm looking forward to seeing where it goes over the next 10 20 years
0: Podcasting's okay, amazing i mean it's been a, it's been a gift i, I used to be on the a- the high school radio station you know we had a radio station back in high school and I used to love it and I used to think man in a different life I would love to be on the radio (laughs) it's so crazy to think now that I can do all of this and run my own podcast from home and you know this is a real dream of mine how's your podcast going I know you've got your own podcast you said you're launching another one as well What, what have you learned throughout that journey for you
1: Quite a bit, because I've done 500 and over 500 episodes now. As Incredible.
0: We're, Congratulations.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so as we're recording this, I think we've released five number 516 here this week. And then I'm looking to do a solo show, because I, I joked around with you before we started, I'm a sucker for punishment. So I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to launch a solo show as well. But No uh, editing, no. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, I'm gonna take the filter off with that. What I find, in all honesty, I prefer probably being a guest to hosting a podcast. And it's not that I don't enjoy hosting. But what I find is a lot of times as a host, you're asking questions and stuff. It's a 30 minute format, you don't have a lot of time to expand on things that you're hearing on the show and so on. And that's the reason why I'm launching the solo show is I'm like, man, there's stuff I'd like to talk about here and get out there but I just don't have the there's time constraints in a 30 minute interview where I'm talking for maybe you know 10 minutes out of that I just can't do it so the solo show is going to be separate from natural born coaches and it's going to still help coaches but it's going to be also focused more entrepreneurs and you know different things mindsets and pricing and business building and everything else
0: yeah, that's exciting. I, I can tell just, you know, from the way you speak that you're a natural entrepreneur, that you're, you're drawn more towards the business side of things. So how does coaching fit into that for you? Like take me through your journey into coaching and how you've brought that entrepreneurial spirit to it.
1: Sure. Well, it's interesting because uh, I was never sold on the concept of coaching back in my 20s and my real estate days so i had been approached not often but a few times by people when i was flying high in real estate who wanted me to hire them as my as my coach and in my mind i thought you know why the heck would i need a coach look at how great i'm doing you know i'm doing awesome i don't need a coach and then of course when everything happened with the closure i got thinking wow you know i probably could have used a coach it it would have things would have probably happened differently with someone in my corner as a coach So I jumped into coaching really because after the business closure, I was uh, helped by coaches and I started to see the power of coaching and and realizing what coaching was. And that's how I got started in coaching. But it's funny, there's a lot of of crossover from lessons I learned from building a real estate business compared to coaching. And I find that every day. I'm like, oh man, this reminds me of real estate, you know, because the business building side of it. So what I'm doing with my business is I'm focused on helping other coaches build their business and get clients. And my big thing is helping them get clients without paid advertising, really. And um, the reason that I'm so passionate about that, I saw how hard it was for coaches. Like all these certifications and training schools focus on the art of coaching. They don't focus on the business side of coaching where you actually have to get clients and you have to sell and you have to make money to keep the doors open, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing.
0: Yeah, so can you give me a little bit more into that, like a little bit more about how that might work, or and there'll be some coaches listening, so what are some of the, the tips that you found that work well?
1: Well, a couple tips, I think that most coaches, and this is all online entrepreneurs, aren't consistent enough, so they do something for a week or two weeks, or you know maybe a month or two, and then they're like, well, I didn't get any clients, so I'm gonna quit. And you know what it's like from doing your podcast and everything, you can't expect to do something for a week or two and have people rushing through the door. So I think that every person, every coach especially, should have a daily something, I call it. And that daily something could be, you know, I had my podcast for 300 episodes starting out. Uh, nowadays I do the podcast, it's a weekly show, but I do daily emails to my list. That's my daily something. Every single morning, same time of day, my email goes out to my list. And if you do a daily something, then it just helps shorten that learning curve. and also gives you a lot more credibility. So a lot of people think that I've been podcasting for 10 years. No, I haven't. My podcast is roughly three years old. It seems like it's 10 years old because I've done so many episodes with it. So you have to just get in there, put your head down and just do the work and be consistent with it. Don't give up if you don't see those results right away, say in a month or in two months or so, they'll come. But you have to staying power. And a lot of coaches and entrepreneurs just don't have that.
0: Yeah, easy to say and harder to implement. (laughs) But I read even for podcasts, I read and I don't know if this is still true. This was a while ago, but 80% of podcasts don't get past 13 episodes.
1: Oh, yeah, they're in the podgatory or their pod (laughs) (laughs) state.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. So how do you, because again, it is easy to say, but how do you maintain the consistency? Is it through systems? Like you said, the the daily action. Uh, What are some of the other sort of mindset things that you can do? Well, I was lucky that
1: I had the real estate background because in real estate, I was a robot. I did certain things every day. So back in those days, it was I called 20 people, uh, homeowners every single day, you know, rain or shine. And that's how I got my business going so quickly. So when I got into coaching business, I had that, I had that discipline and, and consistency wasn't an issue for me. So anytime I start something, whether it be the podcast, daily emails or whatever, I always tell myself I'm not going to expect to make a million dollars in a week and then get frustrated. I'm just going to make sure I keep doing it. And I know that sounds very simplistic, but I do think it's important. So if anyone listening is committing to something, whether it be, you know, maybe they're doing Facebook lives every day or a podcast or YouTube channel, whatever, don't put pressure on yourself that you're going to have to monetize it too soon. It's going to probably take time, but you just got to be consistent and do it. So I remember one funny story with the podcast. I had, uh, it was Jason Womack, uh, is a coach in California. Great coach. He's worked with Olympic athletes. A really good guy. And I sat to do an interview with him one day. And I woke up that morning just deathly sick. I had the I won't go into too many details here. I had the garbage can right next to me right and I was running back and forth to the bathroom and you know it was um, wasn't a pretty sight and I was going to cancel that interview but I knew with Jason's schedule that man if I don't get Jason now it could be another month or two months or whatever and I really want to get this interview done so I did the interview with Jason w- with a garbage can between my legs and I was like oh god I hope I don't have to mute this to puke Right, and and I made it through luckily. You know, I was like, oh, thank God. And that's a kind of mindset that I have. I'm not saying that, you know, if you're really really sick, you probably should just cool it, you know, with it. You and I were set to do this interview uh, last week, and I lost my voice. I went through three or four days with very very little voice, and I told you at that time, like, yeah, I can't do an hour long interview today because I was like whispering. Right. So there's times that you have to use common sense and shut it down. But that's just gives kind of my mindset to it that you, you have to show up. You have to if you're committing to be there, something could grow your business. You have to be there. And I just see so many coaches, that for example, don't show up on Skype calls. They just totally blow them off. They flake out and forget about them or they're 20 minutes late. They don't treat it like a business. They're not professional. And it shows with the results
0: yeah that's it's a uh, brilliant advice i heard um uh, saw one of those little two minute videos from tony robbins the other day and he was saying discipline your disappointment that was the phrase he used and because i think what you're talking about is like you say if you don't get a client or you don't make a million bucks after your first month in business then uh you can be disappointed it can be you can get down about it and that can take a lot of people out you know, forever and they just go back to doing what they always do or they take it out for a month and then someone helps them find some motivation and get back into it. But he was saying like discipline your disappointment. So it is fucking disappointing. Like if you get rejected or someone says, Hey coaching's a bunch of bullshit, you know, don't ever call me again and you think, man, maybe coaching is a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> um but instead of letting that take you out, discipline your disappointment. Be disappointed but make it for fifteen minutes and get up, dust yourself off, and get back into it.
1: It's really tough nowadays because of course we see Facebook ads and things uh, all over the internet talking about how you can make seven figures in a month working five minutes a day, and they make it sound easy. So I've actually had clients who are making roughly 5K a month coaching. And they're down on themselves, like, oh, my God, I'm only making 5K. I'm not doing six figures a month like these gurus are talking about. What's wrong with me? And I have to tell them, look, you're still early in the game to be making 5,000 a month. That's great. Now let's work on getting it bumped up to 10,000 and do those steps to scale further past there. But I also tell them to remember that not everything you see online is true. And a lot of those people who say, oh, I made hundred thousand dollars revenue this month and they show a screenshot yeah but they also spent 90k between ads and their other stuff you know with it how much are they actually pocketing so don't believe everything you see online or let it discourage you
0: well it makes it you know trust is so important like because there is so much noise now like trust is such that that's your most valuable asset from what i can see how do you build trust and what you're saying and if you're saying i made 100k in three days on instagram <laughs> you know like it's it's hard to it's hard to trust people and like you say so many facebook ads and stuff just in your face do you agree with that how, how do you build trust
1: i'm a straight shooter so i don't do any of that type of advertising you know now don't get me wrong i always tell coaches that they can do very well with this because i've had clients who do very well and i'm uh, happy to be part of that process to help them out. But I never give kind of guarantees like, hey, you're gonna make seven figures here in the next couple months. Uh, because it's it's really stupid business strategy because yeah, there's people that do that and they suck people in. They're never gonna ever get referral or repeat business. So they might get lucky and hit a few people there, but they don't have a sustaining business model. They're not going to be around in 10 years because people are gonna know what they're up to. And I've seen coaches like that. I saw one coach, it was funny, what he say? He said um, I usually charge, 10, th- I think he said ten thousand dollars an hour for my services, you know, and I'm in high demand. But for this week only, I'm gonna give away three of these spots for free. You know, comment yes in the thread and I'll get it booked. You know, and oh no, sorry, it wasn't free. It was for ninety ninety nine dollars. So he said he normally charge whatever ten k, and now for this week there, it was gonna be a hundred bucks. Which I took it as okay. This guy's got his car payment coming up or something, and he needs to round up a few hundred bucks you know, with it. And people just don't buy it. They're not thinking, okay, yeah, you charge 10k an hour, you know, and now you're you're going to work with me for $100 for that hour. Come on, give me a break.
0: Yeah, it's so true. So what is your what do you consider to be your zone of genius? I
1: think my zone of genius is um, really content creation is a big part of it. And then also act. Yeah, daily
0: emails. I mean, that's a big challenge.
1: Yeah, daily emails um, on Facebook. I'm posting probably 10 times a day, you know, close to between my personal wall, my Facebook group um, and then the fan page. So uh, it's two things, I guess. It's that content creation. Um, I'm really good at creating content and pulling things out. That's not bo- boring. You know, it's entertaining. It's stuff from pop culture or other things that I see that have business lessons in them. And then it's also the action part of it. So I'm good at taking action. I don't dither or screw around. I hate sitting still. And then I also get my clients to do the same thing. So I'm always at them and making sure I'm keeping them accountable, too, because that's an important part of it. So I make sure they're getting out there and and they're not staying hidden because you're right what you said. It's a noisy online marketplace. If you're not out there all the time, you're going to get lost in the shuffle.
0: Yeah, thinking you can kind of post once or twice about something and expect to be heard is, is ridiculous in this day and age. You've got to be out there consistently putting out your message, saying who you are, saying what you stand for, saying where you've come from. Yeah, the metaphor I like to use a few weeks ago, uh, Julia
1: and I went to the casino and our local casino to play a little bit of games and stuff like that. I didn't win. I got my butt kicked, but she ended up winning. So as we're leaving the casino, you have to go all the way to the back of the room to the cage to collect your winnings. And they put this in the furthest possible place to go. (laughs) They know that you're going to get your money back. And I think she won a couple hundred dollars. But they they don't want to put you too close to the exit sign because they want to make sure they get that money back before you leave, right? So as Mm -hmm. we turn around to leave there, we have to weave through the rows and rows of slot machines. And if you ever see a casino, there's never a straight line to an exit. I mean, usually they don't have... They don't have windows because they don't want you to see in the outside world. They rarely have clocks. Uh, God, they pump oxygen into uh, there. They do all these tricks, right? They they know what works. They're smart. So we had to weave through all these uh, diagonal and haphazard rows of slot machines to get out the door. And luckily, we got out. We didn't spend any more money. But it's the same way. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) It's (laughs) the same way with coaches and online entrepreneurs with the content that you're putting out there. You want to be out there so much that people can't turn around without bumping into you. You're like those rows of slot machines. And even if they try to ignore you or they hate your guts or whatever, everywhere they turn, they're seeing Nathan Seward's name. And they're thinking, oh, my God, you know, I can't get away from the guy. And a lot of them will eventually say, you know what? Um, I've seen him enough. Uh, I want to see what it's about. I want to work with him or I want to buy a program from him or whatever. So treat your content creation, what you're putting out there like a casino. Make it very difficult for people to get around you.
0: You believe in this concept of polarizing people. So, you know, some people see that and go, oh, God, I just I'm not interested in this. I've seen this 20 times on my Facebook wall in the last week. Just I'm unfollowing this guy. Uh,
1: I do agree with polarization if it fits your personality. So I'm working with a coach who's very woo woo and I'm not a woo woo guy. I'm probably the furthest thing from woo woo. But she's very much touchy-feely, woo-woo stuff. So when I was doing one of my group calls with her the other day, we talked about polarization, and she said, "Mark, this just isn't me. You know, I don't." She doesn't talk about politics, and she doesn't talk about other things. And when I say polarization, I don't mean you should go in there, you know, bashing Trump, you know, 20 times a day and stuff like that. But there's ways to be polarizing that you can turn it into a business lesson. But what I said to her, I said, "Look, if, if you're not comfortable with it, you're not feeling it, then that's fine." as long as you follow the number one rule, and that is don't be boring. And unfortunately, a lot of people say, well, I don't wanna piss anyone off, I don't wanna be polarizing, but then they're boring as hell. So you've probably seen them, they say, gee, I'm posting 10 times a day on Facebook or whichever social media network, and I'm not getting any business. But when you look at their posts, they're all just uh, posts of motivational quotes, you know, like Tony Robbins quotes and Oprah Winfrey quotes and stuff like that. People wanna hear your own voice. We can get Tony Robbins quotes, and. Oprah quotes all over the internet. I'd rather hear your actual voice. So I do polarize, you know, and I I don't do it to be a troll or, you know, like some people polarize just just to be an idiot. And that's a little different. I always make sure that I actually believe what I'm saying. And I like to tie it into business, obviously, as well. But I think polarization, you got to do it. You got to stay away from that mushy middle where everyone else is to separate yourself and get noticed.
0: Yeah, I like that. I really like that. Yeah, it's funny. (laughs) You mentioned woo-woo. Like, if I think about that woo-woo thing, I think about, um, you know, what I do with my clients is I, I probably drift more towards the woo-woo and more towards, I would say, the spiritual side rather than woo-woo. But um, it's, for me, it's about fulfillment. And the people that come to me are usually highly successful. They don't have a problem being successful in their careers or in their business or financially getting what they want. But they, there's an emptiness that they feel, a loneliness, an emptiness that they haven't been able to get rid of. And so they've got everything they want externally, yet they still feel empty on the inside. Oh, exactly. Um, so that that's that's kind of the game I, I play in my coaching business, yes. uh, success with fulfillment. Yeah, it's
1: not, not to knock woo-woo people. It's just it's not me. So I'm all for positive thinking and stuff. Don't get me wrong. But some people take the whole universe thing and law of attraction a little too far. So they look at every little thing, and it's got to be the universe. And they, <laughs> they drive themselves crazy, right, with all that stuff. And that's just not me.
0: Yeah, totally. And, um, sitting in your bedroom just thinking about a red Ferrari for three weeks and wondering why it hasn't shown up yet. Shooting rainbows out of your
1: behind. and vibrate. <laughs> I, I just picture these uh, coaches sitting in their Lazy Boy and they're like just shaking, you know, trying to vibrate and shoot out these positive um, vibrations. And they're, they're going to give themselves hernias, right, <laughs> trying to do this. <laughs> and, and I've actually seen, you. I think it was in The uh, Secret, the movie where one of the people in there, I think maybe David, I forget his name. Shermer or something like that, was talking about finding parking spaces, how he was very good at using the law of attraction to find these parking spaces. And I'm just picturing a lot of people who are the manifestation coaches and things like that who are feeling like total losers because they don't get a good parking space. And sometimes it's not the universe that's doing that. It's just it's a busy spot and there's no parking space. That's why you have to park a mile away. doesn't mean that you're a bad manifestation god or goddess. It just means that there's no parking
0: spaces. The universe is telling you to go for a walk, I think. So you yeah, need to listen to that as well.
1: <laughs> Amy Schumer has a great skit, and you can find it on YouTube for her show Inside Amy Schumer. And it's got Bill Nye, the science guy, in it. And it's like um, making fun of the universe, people who who credit everything to the universe and it's funny if people check it out just google amy schumer the universe and you'll see what it is but i think it's gone a little bit too overboard i think there's definitely something to be said for positive thinking and if you go around negative and cynical and pessimistic all day long then you probably are going to not get great results and attract bad things to you but just don't go overboard with the whole universe and manifesting thing
0: yeah, I think it's, you know, when I, I watched The Secret, it's probably 10 years ago now. It's a long time since that came out and got into it at the time. But then I started to discover that, you know, the law of attraction, that it's only one of many laws of, you know, the universe, as you say. Uh, and there's lots of different laws, including the law of action, which says that no matter what you do, no matter how much manifesting and positive thinking you do, you must take action, any action. Like you said, pick up the phone and phone 20 people today. Uh, you might get nothing from it, but you have to be in action. You have to give the world a chance to reward you. Yeah, it can't be all about vi-
1: vision boards. As great as they could be to motivate and stuff, it's got to be backed up by some action.
0: Totally. So, speaking of Tony Robbins, success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. Is a quote that I love. Um, having come through it, because I know like a lot of people read think and grow rich or read rich dad poor dad and can really you know find the strategies to become rich and then become wealthy and, and find that they're still empty or that that and maybe i need to earn another 10 million dollars and maybe then i'll i'll feel like enough so you've been through this you've created a business you've lost it you, you you have a successful you know coaching practice how do you relate to this how have you found fulfillment on top of your success
1: well, you're right because what's that study say? I think it's after seventy-five thousand, there's not a direct correlation between income and happiness. So it's not like if you make one hundred and fifty thousand a year, you're twice as happy as seventy-five, or if you make, um, you know, three hundred k a year, you're four times as happy. So, um, I always remember that study. That being said, um, I have no problem admitting that I like money and I've I've had a lot of money and then I've had no money, you know, I've lost it all, not once but twice. And I can say it's much better to have money. Um,
0: (laughs) I like that, that quote that said, it's better to be sad and rich than sad and poor.
1: (laughs) Oh, I agree. Totally. So (laughs) knock on wood. Um, I learned those lessons from losing it before, but I hope I never go through it again. But, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, there's a lot of people that think that oh, it's just the money, and it's just money is not a great motivator. I think your why has to be more than that, because if it's just money, if you're having a dry spell and you look in your bank account, you don't have much money there, you just feel like garbage, right? Because you're putting all your worth in there. A lot of people think it's money, but then when they dig deeper, they discover their motivation is something else. So I worked with a coach once who uh, kept talking about, you know, I want to make 10K a year and then scale up. from that It was all the money, money, money. And when I was digging deeper and trying to find out what his motivation was, he finally admitted that a big thing driving him was his mother was going through health issues. And when she was older, and when he was older, he was he wanted to be in a position that he could help her. He didn't want her to, you know, go through a rougher time than she already was. So that's why he was actually coaching was he didn't want to have an income cap. He wanted to be able to provide, provide for a sick mother essentially, and that's a much more powerful motivator than having a number written on your vision board and looking at it every morning or chanting at it.
0: So take me a bit deeper into you then just uh, the, about your fulfillment. I still want to get a sense of how you make sure that you're feeling fulfilled and that you're feeling good about what you do and that because it's an art fulfillment, right? It changes day to day. What brings you joy, what makes you happy is kind of a fluid thing. I think so how do you, how do you deal with that?
1: Well, throughout my twenties, it was all, you know, money, 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 and big income and wealth goals and awards and stuff. And, um uh, it wasn't like I was really, really excited about houses. Yeah, I liked real estate, but I didn't bounce out of bed in the morning and say, oh, I can't wait to see the kitchen and the granite countertops in this house today. Like that wasn't why I was doing it. I wanted something where I wasn't capped financially and stuff. Um, My son was born towards the tail end of my real estate business, and now he's nine years old, and uh, he's a very powerful motivator. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to get into coaching. I would never force him into taken over the family business when he's older, unless he wanted to. But I do want to build something for him because I felt like something was taken away back in 09. He was about a year, a little over a year old when the business closed. And here I was, you know, I felt like a total loser. And oh, man, I had this, you know, successful business that I envisioned handing off to him. And now it's it's collapsed and so on. So my son is a a big motivator there. You know, I want to build a legacy and stuff. and, And I want him to be proud of me. But the other thing is, you know, with coaches, I realize how tough it is to get started in a coaching business, you know, because I was beating my head against the wall in the early days. And what I want to do is, um, Sam Phillips. He's a fellow who discovered Elvis Presley back in 1954. Sam Phillips owned Sun Records, and he had this kid with a funny name, Elvis, and a funny haircut, come in one day to cut a record for his mother's birthday. And that's how he discovered Elvis Presley. And look at what happened that birthed the whole rock and roll industry. And what I always say is I want to be the Sam Phillips of the coaching industry. You know, I want to find people who could be really good. They have the potential, but they're not going to get there without help. And then I'm going to be there to help them because every one of them that I help get their businesses going, they could become the next Tony Robbins, Brendan Bichard, or any of these other greats. So it's just a huge ripple effect. And for me, that's really exciting. So that's another p- big part of the why. I want to be a part of that.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So it sounds like you've got this, you know, the zone of genius around the content creation and, and finding these amazing people. And what brings you the fulfillment is actually um, knowing you can use those skills to, to help these people go out and affect other people's lives. Yeah, I think
1: legacy is a big part of it too. You know, for example, right now I'm writing my first book. I say my first real book. I've written short digital books. So this is an actual real book. And I think everybody, whether they realize or not, they want to think that they're remembered after they're gone. Now, hopefully, I have a lot of years. I'm 39 years old. So, you know, I'm hoping to make it a lot longer. But, there is something very uh, powerful and something to be said for somebody being influenced by you when you're gone. You know, 50, 100 years down the road, we talked about Napoleon Hill. Look at how much good Napoleon Hill's done, and he hasn't been around for years. What was it, the 70s? I think he died. So um, that's the other they part. Has even released
0: another book of his last year or something, didn't they, that had never been discovered until recently? <laughs>
1: yeah, they they released Outwitting the Devil, which was a little strange. I read it; but, you know, it had some good parts, but it, it was definitely a little bit, a uh, little out there. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, think when you think about it, Think and Grow Rich is kind of out there too. They talk about the ether and they talk about some some concepts that are kind of out there. So I've given that book to people who are very traditional ones, and they've kind of scratched their head and said, "Oh my God, what's he talking about with like sex transmutation and stuff like that?" In some of the chapters.
0: i think of wayne dyer too you know wayne dyer only just got into his work recently and he his podcast still has a new episode like every week you know like of his old radio shows i'm sitting there listening to these podcasts and you just think man like this this guy's spirit is not dead at all you know this guy's legacy just keeps going on and on and on he's still impacting and changing millions of lives today
1: yeah, well, my uh, stepdaughter loves Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson died in 2009. He's making more money now, dead, you know, yeah. than he was. And same with Elvis. You know, Elvis, um, when Priscilla Presley took over his estate, it was in rough shape. It, like they were thinking of, that they're going to have to sell Graceland and it just wasn't looking good. And she swung it around and just did some really smart business moves. And look at how much Elvis's empire is doing now, how much um, it's making and how much it's grown. So, yeah, you can definitely do a lot of good in the world by creating something when you're here that's so good that it's going to outlast
0: you. Mike, is there anything else you want to leave the people listening?
1: Well, now that I've offended every woo-woo person and stuff, <laughs> let's,
0: let's talk about network
1: marketers. You know? I'm not a fan totally. of that. We yeah. that's, now that's polarizing if you want some polarizing content. Um, what I'll leave you with is uh, there's a, a very good acronym that I read in a Robin Sharma book, and I've always remembered this. It's KMF and that stands for keep moving forward and i think that that's something that every entrepreneur should tattoo in their bodies or you know do something to carry it with them but keep moving forward because if you're getting into business and you're expecting it to be an easy ride don't fool yourself you know it's better to go in knowing what you're going to get hit with cuz you're going to get hit with a lot of crap and that'll help you get through those tough times. But it's the people wearing the rose colored glasses that buy into the ads and stuff, to think, oh, this is going to be easy, the laptop lifestyle, you know, let's do it. Then they get a uh, rude awakening happen very quickly. So always remember KMF, keep moving forward.
0: That's awesome. Thanks for that. How can people find you? Um, tell us uh, where to find the podcast, the name of it. And I guess if this coach is listening, how they can, can reach out to you to learn more about your business.
1: Sure. Uh, The home base is naturalborncoaches.com. That's the name of the podcast as well. So while you're there, you'll see everything that I'm doing. Uh, The other thing I'm really excited about is I have a Facebook group with closing in on 10,000 coaches, and it's called The Coaching Jungle. And that's at thecoachingjungle.com. We'll forward over to it. So anyone who's a coach or interested in coaching can check out the Facebook group, The Coaching Jungle. We'd love to have you.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I'll put all those links in the show notes so people can find that easily the um, the last question we always ask the guys that come on is about their dark side and it's just an interesting place to explore that I don't really hear anyone else talking about so do you do you relate to the concept of the dark side do you feel like there's a part of you that you have to hide or that you, you have to be aware of is there a way that you embrace that part of you
1: well I don't have like a dead hooker in the freezer if that's what you mean But Why not? Uh... <laughs> Oops, my secret's out. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I think everybody obviously has a dark side. And uh, going back to the book Thick Face, Black Heart, Chen Ning Chu recommends embracing your dark side. So she says that you should embrace it for the good that can come from it. So she's saying if you're, let's say, wanting money, you're ambitious, then there's ways that you should embrace that side of you. Don't try to, don't try to bury it, you know, and be something that you aren't. And I know that you can take that a little too far at times. If you look at, you know, Bernie Madoff and, you know, obviously people like that. But I think there's something to be said for that. So that's why I mentioned earlier with um, money is I don't talk coaches out of going for those big income goals. And I want to build an empire here. You know, like Jay Z says, I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman. That's how I I kind of think of it as well. So I don't know. Some people would say, hey, that's a dark side. He's ambitious and, you know, and and stuff like that. I view it in the positive terms because I could do a heck of a lot more good uh, with, you know, being successful and wealthy than I ever could if I was poor and not successful.
0: Yeah, in this book, uh, have you read Relentless? Yes,
1: I have. That's with the fellow that was uh, Kobe Bryant's
0: Yeah, trainer. the NBA trainer. And yeah, I really like his definition because he says that the dark side, you can either ignore it and pretend you don't have one and then it'll sneak up and grab you when you're not expecting it. Or you can do the Bernie Madoff where you just give in to your dark side and just become your dark side, become hedonistic or whatever that might be. Or like you said, you can find a way and go, hey, I know I'm competitive. I know I'm ambitious. I'm going to channel that into creating a business that does good. That's how you embrace it. Um, yeah, because things like competition and ambition channeled in the wrong direction can hurt relationships, friendships family exactly well the way i always think of it i'm a big star wars fan so i always get
1: as many lessons as i can from star wars but <clears throat> i'm sure everyone listening hopefully has seen um the star wars original trilogy we won't talk about the prequels <laughs> <laughs> but um w- w- George what-
0: lucas the rich man
1: Well, it did. We won't talk about Jar Jar Binks. But um, with the Star Wars uh, trilogy with uh, Return of the Jedi, Luke ends up um, fighting Darth Vader. You know, in the previous movie, The Empire Strikes Back, he was kind of a scared, you know, he was just learning. He wasn't yet a Jedi. And he ends up losing to Darth Vader and getting his hand chopped off in the process. And in the next movie, uh, Darth Vader taunts him and basically says, you know, if I can't turn you to the dark side, then I'll turn your sister, you know, Leia, to the dark side. And Luke gives in to his dark side and he lets that anger flow and he ends up defeating Darth Vader. You know, he just he uses it. He channels it that way. And I think that that's a powerful lesson that as long as you don't go fully to the dark side um you know like darth vader or the emperor we're getting really geeky here uh i'm a closet a closet nerd you won't find me at the conventions and stuff but i love star wars not anymore superman stuff yeah that's right i'm not in like a chewbacca costume at (laughs) at the movie theater but um luke luke channeled that anger and anger can be a really good thing if somebody's um, let's say I'm uh, not doing well in business, they're not getting that motivation, then somebody taunts them, they get a critic or a hater, you can either feel bad about yourself and wallow in self-pity, or you could take an approach, you know what, fuck them, I'm gonna you know, become successful and shove it in their face then hey that, if that's what it takes to get you motivated and get you going embrace it you know don't try to turn away from it so there's a, there's a lesson from Star Wars
0: it's a great lesson to finish on uh, Mark thanks for coming on thanks for sharing your story and thanks for giving us all the tips and advice you know, from your yep. success in business and congratulations on your success yeah thanks for having me Nathan appreciate it thanks man ever yeah, folks, my conversation with the wonderful Mark Marwini. If you're a coach, go and check out thecoachingjungle.com. It'll take you through to Mark's huge Facebook group for coaches and listen out for his podcast. It's called Natural Born Coaches, available everywhere and on iTunes. Thanks again for tuning in the show as always. Share it around, give it a like, make a comment, let me know what you think of it, and I'll love you guys forever. I'll be back next week with episode 38 of The Nathan Seawood Show. That was The Nathan Seawood Show.
1: Personal conversations
0: with powerful men.